Right. So I cannot believe that this is only the, that we're only on episode four of this season. Like we did the whole episode zero thing, you know, kind of getting our bearings. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't feel like five episodes either. It feels like we've done a lot. It feels like we've covered a lot. Yeah, and, I, th I think that it's just because we get to cover a lot of ground per episode. Yes. Well, but we also focus on one show and we get a good chunk of it. So mm -hmm. I'm I'm having my cake and eating it too. I'm really liking this system because we get to like get I, I get to feel like I've enjoyed something on its own right. merits. I'm not having to jump around and think, oh, I gotta keep all this in my head. Even yeah. though we are we are covering a lot. But at the same time, dude, it is killing me waiting on watching more of the other shows. Like I yesterday I was like uh, I, I couldn't remember if it was just Eat Man we were watching, and I and I, I didn't ask either. <laughs> but um, and yeah, we we are talking about Eat Man. It mm -hmm. was uh, episodes four through six. But I, I was thinking, I'm like, it would be kind of nice if last second I was forced to watch like three episodes of Saint Seiya or three episodes of Zoids because I'm just enjoying everything that we're watching. Yeah, which is a nice problem to have. I don't think the other seasons have had that problem be very present. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. <clears throat> I can't believe it's only just episode four, but yeah. That being said, um, hold on. My gosh, another sneeze. What's wrong with you? You got some kind of allergies? No, just, just sneezes. And that one left. Dang it. All right. Um... <laughs> Can't that being even said, commit. these three episodes, I, I were not my favorite. <laughs> oh, you didn't like these? I think it was mainly just I could see the budget of the show this time, like these three episodes. Really? Um, yes. They even even episode five. Let's see. Episode five. That was the one was... with the dancers. Okay, so episode five, not as much, but episode six, most definitely. Okay, yeah, I, I, I could see that. I, I mean, see, I could see where they, you're going with that. They pretty much sat down a a voice actress and they were like, all right, you need to laugh like a child for okay. literally two minutes straight. Here's the thing. I, man, was that strange. And the fact that it was like a bookend. Like yeah. it was it the episode starts with that, which I found extremely uncomfortable, and I assumed it must have been intentional. But then by the end, I couldn't think of why it would have been the the intent to make the viewer extremely uncomfortable and feel like they're being they're being uh uh what am I trying to say? Feel like they're being uh <laughs> like made to go insane slightly because <laughs> it's just. A, a repetitive noise and a repetitive image, which yeah. is some serious, like, I don't know. That's, that's some freaking like French filmmaking. That's like some crazy postmodern stuff. Like <clears throat> where yeah. you just have like a very minimalistic image and it's just the, it's an assault on your senses. Nonetheless, I actually, when I was thinking this is intentional, I, I was like, this is, pretty impressive that they were able to like take this kind of risk or go this far. But then when it bookends it, 
That that isn't me figuring out. Oh, it was just saving money. That's me figuring out. I don't know what they were going for. And then the the Occam's razor is. Oh, we needed to save money and pad out the episode. But it's strange because the rest of the episode, I didn't get that feeling at all. In I fact, think I just... I really liked all a lot of what happens in the sixth episode. I think it's just the pacing of the show. Maybe maybe it's just a little too slow for my taste. Um, mm. yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I would. Just, mm. You know, go ahead. Elaborate. I, I, th- I, th- I think that the the biggest thing is, that comes with this pacing is that I mean we're on episode six of a twelve episode show, and I don't know where it's going. If it's going to continue being like just an episode, almost like an anthology t- series about this I, dude, I would not be surprised if that's exactly what it is. Okay. Because that's okay. what it feels like already. Yeah, I mean, like each episode is completely unconnected. I, I think that I would be more okay with it if it was like I learned a little bit more about this dude every episode. But to me, it just feels <clears throat> like there's not much that I'm finding out about Bolt Crank. I'm going to have to push back on that because oh, okay. I actually was very satisfied with all that oh. we got about him in this one. Also, I, the thing that we keep comparing this to, which is not going to be a favorable comparison. No, it's end, not. It's not. But we keep comparing it to Trigun. But specifically, as far as like having the beginning feel very episodic and like we're just getting these short vignettes mm-hmm. to get to know things, I already know more about Bolt Crank in the first six episodes than I knew about Vash in the first six episodes. And it, uh, they're actually mm. doing it in an interesting way, I think, because in uh, okay, so episode four, the whole like the the dictator assassination and like the, uh, right. the third world country getting occupied by its neighbor, yeah, <clears throat> which I thought was cool world building, because mm-hmm. up to this point you were just like this is some random junky city that we're spending most of our time in, but then it's like okay, you've got the city, but then you have the surrounding areas. And, mm-hmm. and the surrounding areas are actually uh, a lot more primitive, a lot more rural, and they're not at peace. So I, I don't know. I, I like how that kind of establishes there isn't some like big empire that this is just a small piece of. It's like, no, this is actually a very like uh, messy collection of different societies right. that are very close together. So I liked how that established. It's like, no, this world is much smaller than you're thinking. Maybe, you know, this is so far in the future that it's after we became spacefaring, but whatever it is we're getting right now, this is a result of everything being very small and broken up. So I like that. Okay. But, uh, <coughs> good Lord. Further for that episode. Uh, Oh shoot. I'm sorry, I forgot my initial point. What were you saying? Oh, yeah, the little bits of uh, character we get from him. Yeah. The uh, episode four, I, th- I think, <laughs> kind of solidified to me. I'm like, man, they really are going with this formula. Mm-hmm. But like the the way it ends is, you know, it feels like, you know, all of this has to be wrapped up and this has to go nowhere. <laughs> it's like. All the evidence of what happened here cannot escape just because this is an episodic TV series. But I have to 100% give them credit for doing all of the heavy lifting in order to make it to where, no, that would make sense in a story perspective. Because you get, you know, 
you get the story of this village that's just women from these guys who mm-hmm. he's taking a job from. He goes through the process of getting the job and you I like how you get this growing feeling of gray area from who he's working for versus who they're against. And of course, you know, the bad guy of the episode is this totally typical like Empire Strikes Back. Or, uh, I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> Empire kind of officer, Imperial officer from Star Wars. Right. It's like, yeah, this guy is just. He's just completely evil. Oh yeah, you know, he's he's the dictator and everything. And then that, but then that speech he has at the end, where it's like, well, this completely cowardly evil man seems awfully comfortable with how he's meeting his he's uh, meeting his end. Yeah, like this this is an awfully thoughtful, nuanced fella. And you know they just shoot him on the spot. And then when they get back, and you see how these guys are willing to pay the mercenaries. And it's like, all right, who did we just put in charge? Right. What's going to happen now? And then like her like outburst where she grabs a gun and like shoots them all. them all. Yeah. Which I'm going to tell you that looked fantastic. Like oh, I, yeah. I wasn't not- I, at multiple points. I don't know if I was noticing this has a low budget. I think it's just, it's clear that it does have a budget, but there are scenes that, seem like they were smart with where they're spending their money. And that was one of them. I also loved the, uh, the image of the statue having the wings blown off. Mm-hmm. And then he picks it up and puts it back on the table. I was like, this is really good. I, I like how they, this is just something for the show in general, but I, I like how much is left to subtext in visuals. Mm-hmm. That's what I like in a visual medium. But then the problem is at the very end, I, I'm not exactly sure why he kills the guy. I, I do know, like I can come up with a good reason. I'm guessing where it's like bolt crank sees this and this guy's offering him, you know, some, he's, you know, saying, you know, professional courtesy and whatever. And in bolt cranks head, it's kind of like the thing I just participated in did not help anything and now these like this village is still just as vulnerable if not more so like they were being occupied by rebels but before that they were supposedly being occupied by this evil dictatorship and it's like with a dictatorship dictatorship, there's always a second place right and now that there's like a power vacuum and she's clearly made enemies of the people who just created that power vacuum. Mm-hmm. He's probably thinking this has to become airtight. Yeah. And uh, he has worked with this guy before. So once again, letting the subtext do the thing, he probably, no, he, he's probably got good reason to think this guy can't be trusted. He's probably right. going to come back or he's going to be involved in something or he's going to have information that leads to things getting worse than what they are. So I'm like, okay, I can understand that. But then, you know, it does mean this is completely episodic. So this doesn't really go anywhere. The fourth one, not so much as far as, uh, bolt cranks development, Mm -hmm. but with five and six, I disagree completely because in five, you get the whole thing where she's asking him questions 
like mm-hmm. when he's at her house, the the dancer, I can't remember, was it Donna? Donna, is that yeah, her name? That, that was her yeah, name. Yeah, So he's or she's asking him questions about like his past and whatever, and he doesn't answer them because you know he's either the strong silent type or he's kind of a goof. Right. So maybe maybe he doesn't know how to talk to women, even though they're obsessed with him, apparently. But uh when she goes over to him, she says, You're so warm, and I was like we got body heat, people. <laughs> we know that he's got body heat. Because up to this point, I'm like, I'm not, I've not been given any reason to think he's not a robot. Right. I mean, he eats metal. <laughs> right. He's like, my diet is not like other people. <laughs> but like, so clearly, he's got some sort of body heat. He's some sort of like, you know, uh, um, oh, man, humanoid. I- he's got some sort of homeostasis homeostasis what's the other one the one where it's like you have to you love live off of oxygen more than likely i can't remember what the word is and biology was a long time ago ladies and gentlemen i don't know the only word the only word i could think of was photosynthesize and that's not right (laughs) it's literally not the correct answer (laughs) he's not photosynthetic he has to eat some things but he has body heat then again, I guess uh, a robot could have body heat if it's burning through metal that it's eating. I don't know. But anyway, <clears throat> I thought that was like something to go off of. But also the way that episode ends, which is like, you know, a, a big, long, melodramatic shot of like that knife coming out and stuff. Yeah. And then, you know, he he pushes the guy out of the way and it's like the broken mirror that she's looking into. I'm like, God, man, this is this is exactly what I was obsessed with before going to film school and being forced to hate it. But <laughs> it was it was almost like, oh, yeah, I remember enjoying this. I, I remember enjoying visual storytelling. <clears throat> but. uh, Do we know why he was there? Because the beginning of the fifth episode, I was like. There's a reason Bolt Crank is standing outside this place. Yeah. He, and I uh, almost think I don't Sorry, know. go ahead. I, I I don't remember there being a reason. He was just standing out in the rain and yet he hates the sound of rain. Yeah. But like I uh, I almost think he all every single episode up to this point, it's been mm-hmm. someone hiring him for something. So why would this one be any different? And I, I maybe I want to like I want to give it the benefit of the doubt and I want to uh, what's the word? I guess I want to heap praise onto it mm-hmm. just because I, I love it stylistically. I love the music, the visuals. I love like the the design of the world and the backgrounds and stuff. Mm-hmm. Also, episode five in particular, they're like the, the scenes with when I, I love how they're stressing the lighting. Right. Yeah. Like I'm like, oh, these guys really love what they're working on and they're the things they choose to focus on in storytelling shows that. <clears throat> uh but but the I mean in fact I just remembered in that lighting scene we got something else, some other kind of detail from him. Where uh those lights they get very hot. You can't touch them. Yeah. Like lights that are on a, a film set or like, you know. On, on a stage, stuff like that. You can't touch them directly because it's like, it's white hot. It'll scorch you. He grabs the light <laughs> directly. To redirect, to redirect it, yeah. Yeah, and smoke comes off of his hand and he doesn't react. Hmm. So, little ways that they're they're showing you 
ways that he's different about other characters or uh, compared to other characters. I don't know. I'm really, I'm really enjoying how they're taking their time and they're only doing it in clever ways. There's been no exposition dump for who Bolt Crank is. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're, shoot. They're I, I got off track for episode five. Sorry. You, okay. you can say what you're going to say while I try to figure out where I was. Get my bearings. Yeah, I would I would say that it has like um it has no expedition exposition dumps when it comes to bolt crank, but because of it being completely episodic, um some of the episodes like uh specifically which one was it? Specifically episode 4 was okay. really front loaded with exposition. <clears throat> It was. Um, and and like that, I, I, I guess that's just kind of like, uh, you know, nature of the beast when it's an episodic show is that they're going to have to set everything up in that one episode. And I don't it, know. Like, OK, it is nature of the beast. I don't know if it makes it more acceptable that there's an exposition dump because mm-hmm. like it could have been done sh- with visual storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, they've shown that they not only like doing that but they're pretty good at it even when they're doing their exposition dumps they like doing visual storytelling so maybe it's like they're really going for bang for your buck by doing both (laughs) but i think they could probably do without it i mean with how little you end up knowing about that whole society at the end of the fourth episode i mean the stuff you know about them was all you really needed to know about them right a lot of those little extra details were like i don't know (laughs) dare i say filler but maybe it was also kind of a redirection because once he walks back in and they see they're going to give up one of the villagers as payment, I was like, all of that was not necessary. Like all of that was uh, smoke and mirrors. Mm-hmm. That whole like, you know, story about, you know, this evil dictator and stuff like that. It's not even necessarily what these guys are fighting for. Right. But, uh, Oh man, also not just visual storytelling, but just like minimal because there was a a bit of dialogue, but like when she guns them all down and right before it happens, you can see there's that one soldier that like felt guilty about it. Yeah, he goes down with her and he goes, Justine, before he like falls over and then she says they're all the same. I was like, God, that was so good. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I. I think, I mean, remember when you were telling me about this, like before I had known what it was, you were just giving me the details. I'm like, where has this been? On? <laughs> I think this is a situation where I'm probably just going to like this show no matter what it does, just because like whoever's in charge of it, I, I just I like what they do. I'm, so even when there are low I'm points, enjoying, maybe I'm not the best one to go to for criticism. I'm enjoying it. It's just, I, especially these <laughs> past three episodes, um, they just felt a lot slower than I think I was expecting. And hmm. uh, because of the pacing, because of the long shots, because of the single frames that were held uh, that I could just kind of pick apart and tell that it was just saving budget. I don't know. Maybe it was like, uh, maybe it was affecting my, my reception of it. (laughs) Do you think maybe you would have noticed that if you didn't know that that's what it's for? 
Like the, I, the holding shots, I mean. I, yeah, I probably, like, if this was a live action <clears throat> show um, and they were doing the same things, I would probably say, like, they just, they were really intentional about some of these shots. And, like, yeah. they were really, like, chewing the scenery. Uh, chewing the scenery might be the wrong word, but they're just, no, like. No, that's, I, I, okay, some, some places it could apply. Yeah, but I think that because uh, like there was one specific shot that I'm remembering where um, Bolt Crank was petting that cat and like Mm -hmm. as he's petting the cat, there's a girl talking in the foreground. And as she's talking, he's scratching the cat. Well, then she stops talking and it holds on that frame and Bolt Crank stops petting the cat. And so it's like, oh, yeah, there's a frozen frame Uh, that they're using to like pad out time. (laughs) Yeah, that's a ooh, that's a sneaky little one. That's like, oh, okay, Yeah. So that really was just to save time. And so when I noticed that one, it was like I started noticing more and then like Mm -hmm. the really long drawn out shots, especially with that, like the child, the the three second loop of the child running. Yeah, that was episode. That was awful. And I, I want to think that there was a reason for it in the beginning. I was like, there's got to be a reason for this. And I, I do get it was the uh, the music, mm-hmm. but the music could have stood on its own. They didn't need the laugh track. The laugh track was maddening, to say the least. Yeah, it definitely felt like uh, like you go into a, one of those insane asylum horror movies and there's a right. child laughing somewhere in the distance. Yeah, it's like uh, what it is. It was almost like a sensory deprivation tank, but minus <laughs> minus the deprivation. It was sensory overload sensor- tank. Sens- yeah, and it's weird because it was a very minimal sensory overload. It was just like here, focus on one thing and go crazy slowly. <clears throat> and in the beginning, I was like, this must mean something. But then I had sort of forgotten it. And then at the end, they start doing it again. And I'm like, I don't know why you're doing this. Yeah. However, oh, man, I'm jumping all over the place. I feel like I'm just like I'm trying to defend it with everything I can remember, which tells me I really like the show, but I must know something's wrong with it. Mm, okay. <laughs> I think you probably touched a nerve that I was like probably <laughs> had in the back of my head. And I'm like, no, shut up. It's good. Um, I don't know if I noticed the pacing being an issue so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think I take much issue for when the budget shows itself just because when they need it it also shows itself in yeah, good absolutely. ways the, it's very consistent <laughs> it's not like they're it's not like they're showing budget in a drop in quality it's just they are uh they're padding out it's they're doing the Zack Snyder thing where it's like there's a lot of slow-mo <laughs> like that's what it feels like well, with Zack Snyder, that's more like he's spending more money in order to true, true, make, yes. bloat the movie, like right. in order to make it take much longer. Yeah, it's like, like slow-mo, it's, slow-mo scenes are a pain to edit. Like I'm getting he's, a, he's giving the the editor way more work by doing that. Yeah, I'm I'm t- I'm getting it more like it's padding for time, like it's it's okay. making it longer. Yeah. Like I mean, ju- oh ju- yeah, and that is a the, that is a budgetary thing. I think I forget that. I forget that. If you're padding for time, it could be because you're you're saving money, not because you don't have as much story to tell. Right. That's a good point. 
I forgot about that. Or maybe I'm just, I, I think I'm less sensitive to that. I'm really sensitive to where it looks like we're, uh, padding. We're, we're padding because we don't have the money for, uh, or I'm sorry. We're padding because we don't have the story. We, we weren't able to write enough. We weren't able to come up with something else to extend this. That doesn't overextend it. I guess mm-hmm. that's what I'm more sensitive to. I think I forget the fact that it's like, no, every single frame costs money and that's right. why we need to pad it. Right. But it's weird that issue. I don't think that comes up as much in like the uh, the filler for Naruto, say, because Naruto will blow big chunks of budget on filler arcs. So it's like it's a different reason that it happens there for that. It's we literally ran out of story. So now we have to we got to make something attractive to so that people will watch this. Right. It's like, what do we have? We don't have story. We do have money. <laughs> Spend right. money to compensate for the story. That's Zack Snyder. <laughs> Naruto is the Zack Snyder method. Yes. <laughs> but uh, for this one, it was definitely we don't have money. So even though we do have story, we've got to uh, we have to sacrifice some of the storytelling in order to, you know, make it to the end of this where everyone gets paid. Right. They're, they are very strategic in how they choose to save money. I almost wonder why this, why this wouldn't get more budget, because it seems like exactly what was doing well at the time. Yeah. Like I'm at sure. the time that it came out. When did, it's very strange um, that I didn't know about this, because it seems like this, this ticks every box for what people like fondly remember about the era of like late 90s anime. Right. Like this almost seems right there with Cowboy Bebop as far as like the sensibilities like uh, and it's actually a year before Cowboy Bebop. So it's like maybe or maybe it came before its time. Maybe, maybe that's yeah, it, maybe but I don't know. Tick, yeah. When did Dirty Pear come out? Let me see. Hold on. Dirty Pear is another show with this kind of like episodic kind of 85 grunt grungy sci-fi oh that was the animation came out in 85 it looks like i mean i'm just i'm I'm blindly following our google overlords wow so yeah okay so the original anime series is 85 i've not seen the original one i saw the uh the ovas oh yeah that's in the the, uh, 80s okay i think i have seen a little bit already this This looks this is actually maybe i'm mistaken this was already a thing that people liked. In fact, but, but it felt like the nineties was where like a lot of the significant works like with this came out. Yeah. I mean, like specifically I mean, like, uh, you know, you, we, we just mentioned cowboy bebop and I mean, we've been talking about Trigun. Yeah. It seemed like the right moment. It seemed like the right time for this to have its moment, but maybe it's a thing where it's like, well, we had two. There's not much room for a third when it comes to one thing. So that makes sense to me. This actually does make sense as the thing you discover after the fact, once you've seen the other two. (laughs) Good grief. There it was. There we go. Okay, we're good. (laughs) One that went away came back with a vengeance. (laughs) 
anyway, may, maybe it's just a uh, a thing where it's like one too many. Yeah, but it was it came, just like it, it came, couldn't. It came it, first. It must have. It must have come too early, because you have Cowboy Bebop, then you have Trigun. Yeah, and I would say so far it definitely has more in common with Cowboy Bebop as far as structure, because Cowboy Bebop has this air oh, yeah. of uh, continuous storytelling. But in retrospect, it was all completely episodic. Right. Um, it does have a definitive end, and I'll give it that. So we lost Daniel's audio for about 12 seconds there. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much time, how much, how much discussion we would have lost there. And just for editing note, it was 2824 was the time. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, I, we were talking about, I was saying, I think it has more in common with Cowboy Bebop structurally. Yeah. And, uh, almost Aesthetically, it falls between Trigun and Cowboy Bebop. But Cowboy Bebop, while in retrospect, it, it seems completely episodic, does have a definitive ending. Right. And it does get credit for that, even if that ending kind of reinforces the episodic nature of it. Where it's almost like it's making a point. Where it's like, life is just episodic. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> your existence is self-contained. Which is like, alright, Watanabe, alright. <laughs> goodness go make space dandy yeah gosh wow what a <clears throat> what a shift yeah <laughs> i like how he went from like deep deep nihilism <laughs> and, then, and then he makes uh samurai champloo which is actually a very favorable view of episodic stories and then with space dandy it's like oh it's actually not episodic at all in fact your your life will span many lifetimes but uh yeah. Anyway, stylist or er, uh, structurally it has a lot in common with Cowboy Bebop. I think if we're just trying to answer why wasn't it popular, you can just look at the timeline and be like, okay, it just came too early. Also, it might be a little too. The main character might not be cool enough. Hmm. Because he is the least cool. If we're looking at the protagonists, he is the least cool of all three. Okay, this is interesting. Uh, every picture that I'm seeing, like when I when I searched Eat Man, um, I was just looking up to see what the ratings were to see if like, but no, I mean, there's like three reviews, 11 reviews. Make sure, you're, make sure your, your browser is highlighted and not GarageBand. Right, yes, I'm on, I'm actually on a separate computer to completely there eliminate that. <laughs> nice. Um, but... What what I started to notice was that almost every like promotional picture that I'm seeing is a picture of Eat Man with um the girl from the sixth episode. Like that's that's the picture that oh yeah we we finally got that uh, image because that's the one that's uh, on its poster right or, or like it's a almost profile picture for the anime. And that lends credence. We haven't really got into episode six yet, but that lends credence to what I was saying earlier about how I think these episodes have done a lot to give me information about him. But continue what you were going to say. Oh, no, I was just. You seem like you had a point. Uh, it was just interesting that I'm like. Maybe I'm just reading too much into it, but it's like it seems <laughs> from this 
these promotional posters, it just makes me think that she's a bigger character, but then like nothing, nothing. Like if I was to look at these posters and think that she's a bigger character than watch the show, it's like, Oh no, she's just a one-off. Okay. It could be, she has a popular design that people like. I mean, she got the blue hair. So yeah. She also has that mark, which is memorable, especially when you see the meaning. I'm assuming it's a birthmark, but when you when you see like, you know, th- that's actually like a story thing. Mm-hmm. So. Do we want to kind of get into the content of episode six? Yeah. So episode six was the one where he comes across that that girl who's spoiler alert, a clone. Yeah, um, like, like the actual the twist is that they find out she's a clone. Which yeah, up to this point, that wasn't important to why the uh, the bad guys are after her. It's, it's actually because she's like wanted. Right. But and she's she like is a, a demolitionist. Yes. Which I was like, that's a funny word. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't get you don't get demolitionist much. It makes me think, oh, this isn't just like an explosives expert or something. This is someone who's like. There's and, and it's also defined as different from a mercenary. Right. Mercenary, you know, someone who will just be hired to do any job. It could, you know, be rescue, could be protection, could be an assassination. Uh, and then, you know, an assassin would be someone who just does assassinations. This seems like someone who's just there to maybe topple regimes or something like bring stuff down. Right. Because he talks about, you know, it's rare for there to be a female demolitionist. So I'm like, OK, so this is like this is an expert position. Yeah, and There's not a lot of these. And like <clears throat> I you get the you get the idea that she has been like hunting down all of these other clones. And by by the way, it wasn't like a like a twist for um for the characters uh, or, or well, for her. It was a twist for Eat Man and us. Um, yeah, like, she she's not oh my gosh, I'm a clone. Right. <laughs> it's like, you know, yeah, she actually discovered or she, she, she this was her whole motivation right was to eliminate all of the clones um yeah like I, I guess uh i don't know i don't know exactly how to uh to approach this this cooked elephant um cooked what you know like how, how do you eat an elephant like one bite at a time i'm like Trying to figure out where to start. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I mean, one bite at a time. You just got to pick somewhere. Start start getting through it. Eat man's all about eating stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's a metal elephant. <laughs> yeah, it's a full metal elephant. God. <laughs> yeah, I... I think I should have been prouder of that. I'm just realizing after I said it. I, I I found it really interesting. I guess I'll start here. When when she was talking about uh, like the first time that she found somebody who looked like herself, mm-hmm. um, like that was I thought that was a great scene. That was a really interesting. Yeah, that that was really good. And that you have to think about like the trauma of like seeing your dead body. Yeah, outside of yourself. Yeah, yeah, and and all the panic around, and she's just like was. Was that my sister? I just saw dead. Right. But it's also just the feeling of, is that me dead? Very intense experience that I can't think many people, if any, have gone through. Yeah. What were you going to say? Because we were talking about how, you know, 
that's I thought that was a great scene. It's also a cool story where it's like you think you are seeing yourself dead and then like you have to consider all the other options. And one of them is like, was this a twin sister I was kept from? Right. I th- I think but, I found it really interesting because then it was like there was this uh, it seemed like there was a deliberation to to end all of these clones once you found out that they they were in fact clones. Like that was that was okay. really weird to me. Um, you think it was like a, it was a weird conclusion to come to? Yeah, yeah. Like a like a I don't really want to get to. I mean, I don't know what exactly she's experienced. Obviously, they only <laughs> gave me one little snip snippet of her life. Uh, but it was like, I mean, I would kind of want to talk to this to the other clones that I find and like find out their experience. But that is just me. Um, uh, well, there's, it's clear that this was a secret. Like the fact that the, the bad guys that are after her don't know about this. And then at the end, when they rule out that, oh, we must've got her because there was a body recovered. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, that that was the body of the clone that she found. Right. This is clearly not normal, even in this crazy out there sci-fi universe this is strange and it's most likely highly illegal and uh i mean i just consider why human cloning is illegal now Mm -hmm. for us it seems like you know one of those one of those last taboos one of those last uh things (laughs) that that you don't go to it's like it's like that's that's a gate on certain forms of progress you're not supposed to cross that line yeah, that's a that's a threshold. Uh, and I mean, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, speaking of Full Metal Elephants, that had a whole episode about cloning that that's very much stuck with people, right? Like that's that's probably one of the strongest memories people have of that series, because I mean, I see it everywhere, even though I haven't finished the show or even like gone even halfway through. But yeah, but or I mean, Astro Lost in Space, uh, like that one. Oh, yeah. was all about cloning as well. Oh, spoiler. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um oops. But that that one also has a more it, like it's all about that. Mhm. And it also makes you spend time with them. So it's like the, these are the heroes and then you see the people, but then you see the people who had them made and it's like, well these are vile mustache twirling. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean the the episode was uh, that we did was titled Cackling Villainy. Right. But uh yeah, it's like maybe this is a uh more prominent in Japanese culture be it like I don't know like the the, the mythos or just uh, like you can tell in Japanese culture they're far more negative towards drug use mm-hmm. than even America is. And America is very, very negative about drug use. Right. In our like in our media, especially around the time that this came out, actually, like the 80s and 90s. Um, like, uh, I mean, Japan fired a uh, <laughs> I say Japan, the country. No, <laughs> Sega fired a voice actor in the Yakuza series because it was discovered he was doing cocaine. They fired him. The oh. thing they didn't fire him for was authentically playing a former Yakuza member or Yakuza member because he was a member of the Yakuza. <laughs> oh, 
Like this guy had taken lives. <laughs> oh yeah. But that's not enough to get him fired. Doing cocaine is. Huh. So they, uh, I'm just saying that th- sounds this could reminiscent be a thing to the like, U.S. Though, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but yeah, but I'm I'm just saying it could be a thing where cloning is like an indefensible thing, and maybe clones are assumed to be an abomination. In at least in this, like as world. a cultural view, okay, right. And I mean, you look into what clearly inspired this being Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Those aren't even necessary necessarily clones. They're, you know, very authentic robots. Replicants. They're replicants. Yeah. But you know, they they like they bleed and you know, they have emotions and memories and stuff like that. They're more or less kind of the same thing. It's the same sort of abomination thing where it's like this is a a human-like thing that was created by man, which on its face seems a, 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 in some perspectives, impossible. It's like what you've created cannot be human because it's man-made, and and man is not man-made, right? Uh, but then you know when it is this thing you've materially created, it's like it's an abomination because it is only a material recreation. Like you're you're almost like uh, there's a a feeling of this thing must be soulless because we right. cannot create souls. Right. So, I mean, there's a lot of different angles and I mean, you know, the whole cloning subject sci-fi has been in love with this oh, because yeah. it can't come to a conclusion. Like it's, it's obsessed with this topic. Like, I mean, you look at, I mean, even star Wars, like the most basic entry level sci-fi thing that exists has a huge thing about clones. Yep. Especially and, you know, it, the, it, the, the, the clone wars TV show. Yeah, and it uses it not just to talk about clones, but also to talk about other stuff too. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, you know, the uh, in in Clone Wars TV series, one of the <laughs> this image has been has been memed. It's it's so uh, effective, but the whole you know good soldiers follow orders mm-hmm. thing, and that was a clone going rogue, right? <clears throat> yeah, it's it's a it's a popular sci-fi device. And looking at it here, maybe because we've seen so much of it and we expect there to be a little more going on, you can kind of forget the idea that if cloning did exist, because right now, you know, we've cloned sheep. And of course, you know, maybe if you go down a few conspiracy theory rabbit holes, you might find out, okay, well, there's some people have been up to some stuff. And we technically, scientifically, we could. Yeah. I mean, we cloned bananas, then we cloned uh, sheep. So, I mean. Right. So, so we technically could. Would it freak you out if you found out that there were, that, that there were some and they were like among you? Yeah, that would be a little bit of an existential crisis. Yeah. To say the least, because then it's like, well, wait, if there's some, there could be a lot. Right. And then you're like, why do I not know about that? Why did it take this long to learn? And it's like, yeah, you can't. It's really hard to separate it from this very primal feeling of rejection mm. where it's like, it, it, like, you know, it's kind of why humans have this uh, ability to uh, uh, the, the uncanny valley mm-hmm. where it's like at some point something becomes so similar that our bodies naturally reject it where it's like this is an immediate physical threat. Right. Like this is, this is, um, so close. It's wrong. 
Right. Well, and, and it's wrong because why would something that isn't human be that close to being human? Right. It cannot have good motives. Like it must be a deceiver. So there's all that stuff you could kind of pile onto there to make the argument that eat man shouldn't have to define exactly why she's hunting down the clones. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it needed to define why it was just like, I don't know. It it felt like a, Oh, there's clones. Kill them. Yeah. Uh, and of course I, I wouldn't say eat man is built. Mm mm. No, I think this is just a show we're we're covering because well, we're probably covering it because I really enjoy it. Also, I want us to be covering the it. The premise alone was just so gripping. Yeah, it's very attractive initial <laughs> premise. <clears throat> uh, also, I think it's just it's really well made. So I'm absolutely down with having a week every once in a while where we just watch some Eat Man and talk about Eat Man. Yeah, but. Uh, it definitely doesn't fit fit in with a lot of the like. It doesn't fit in with Trigun. No, as far as the the message at the end, which goodness, what what else does? <laughs> like, I, I think in retrospect, we might learn that Trigun is like the example. It may not be Gurren Lagann. Uh, <laughs> it's almost like Trigun has has the beginning, the middle, and the end completely figured out. Whereas, uh, like like I've said before, Gurren Lagann may be a bit more revolutionary, where it's like, by the end, we have our answer. Yeah. But, <clears throat> yeah, anyway, I mean, well, we promise we are getting there. Yep. In fact, with this show. <laughs> right. And once the show is over or once, hey, maybe we're like, ah, we we can't continue this. You know, it's uh, it's just it's too far off the beaten path. It's too far off the uh, the subject matter mm-hmm. of this show itself. Uh, we might decide to just switch right over to Gurren Lagann. Who knows? But anyway, the the whole thing with the cloning, it is sort of a thing where it's like, well, maybe you can't just sweep it under the rug because it is so strange. It is so compelling. It is so out there that it's hard to be like, oh, well, this is the answer we already have. Yeah. If it was the main character, I would assume that if this happened with, the, with, with like, okay, imagine... Bolt Crank sees his clone and then he immediately executes it. Now you're like, okay, this show is now about that. Right. And we're now going to learn why. We're not going to learn why he's doing that. We're going to learn why he's being cloned. We're going to learn why he saw that one in that particular moment. That's what's going to happen. It's like, this is now, this is a show about clones. But the fact that it's one of the many fair women who are in every single episode, every single episode. There's, there's one. It's like this. I'm like, it will not deviate. And it this is, is its structure. It is. You, 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 you nailed it the first time, uh, or the, the first ep- or podcast we recorded on this, but it is Which always is we are supposed to just talk about say, say, but you know, right. Um, but it is always like, they always make some sort of mention about how he is different from all the other men. I mean, like the, the girl who mowed Mm -hmm. down all the, uh, revolutionaries, she referred to them as all being the same and did not shoot him. Right. There's something, there's something off about him. Mm -hmm. Something, uh, uh, that makes him different. But speaking of him being different, when he encounters Lily, which at the time, yeah, that's her alias or whatever. Her name's actually Jessica, or she affirms that she is Jessica because she has Jessica's memories. 
Right. And also, you know, once again, subtext, it's almost it's more subtextual than Blade Runner, like where it's like, wait, is Deckard a replicant? And like Blade Runner really leaves that to subtext. But like yeah. this one is almost less inclined to make you think about it. But then you think about it and it's like it sure didn't say she wasn't. But anyway. Yeah. When he first encounters her, he says, you have the same smell as me. Mm-hmm. And it goes nowhere. But he says that. And I'm like, OK, wait a second. With the, with what follows. Like having the full context, it's like, is Bolt Crank a clone? Was he, or was he more like, was he made? Yeah, like made in a lab is the way that I took it. Yeah. And the fact that he says that, you know, retrospectively, it's like, uh, she's probably one of the clones. She is not the original. Yeah. Also, there's that that part of her her memory that is like that wedding scene. Mm hmm. And I, I that that came with the 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 memory of the box. Um, uh-huh. So I think that that is most definitely the original, quote unquote, her memory. But hold on. Do we even know what the original was? Because you've got the memory. And you've got that that guy in a suit, mm-hmm. right? The guy with the mustache. Mm-hmm. We're assuming we're assuming that's father. Mm-hmm. But that memory looks like his wedding, where it's like this is the woman he's going to marry, oh. and then the steel beam falls on her, and then the memory she also has. That woman is still alive, and her mother. But that woman might have been the first clone, and she also has memories of the second clone, which means she might be so far removed from the original, but she has the memories of the original, the first clone that he married, and the daughter. The, man, that, that dude that did all the cloning, he's got some issues he's got to sort through. <laughs> I think he's probably long, long dead. Well, that was the corpse that they saw in the um, in the little back room. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, he does have some issues, but I, I, I almost want to think like, okay, wait. I can understand why he, she would have implanted memories of the original. They all would have that. Mm-hmm. But is she actually the daughter? Of the clone. And does that make her more human? Than just a full on clone? Oh boy. We're getting into Blade Runner 2049 now. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And <laughs> this. It's interesting. I, I have. I really don't like Blade Runner 2049 as much as most people do. Mm-hmm. I'm impossibly frustrated by how incomplete it is. And how it was like, I will, I, I will always remember the message that you sent me after you watched it. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was that? You said, well, this is pretty much Blade Runner 2049 in a nutshell. And it was the the that SpongeBob wrote on his essay. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I defend that to this day. Um, <clears throat> the, the, <clears throat> the reaction I sent to uh, a couple of my other friends, I was like, Five out of ten. 
half of a perfect movie as it was perfect, but half of a movie. <laughs> it was the perfect first half. But uh, yeah, no, I think the SpongeBob one is much better. <laughs> this is 24 and 9 in a nutshell. It's a beautiful, the. <laughs> but <clears throat> gosh. Anyway, my my biggest and it's like it's more than that. I have more of a personal vendetta with 2049 than just that. Like uh, Dennis Villanueva, whatever his face is, mm-hmm. he had to understand this is not like the other random Hollywood resurgences, reboots, whatever that have come before. It's like he had to know this is a unique opportunity and this is never going to happen again. He had to know that Mm -hmm. because you look at the RoboCop reboot, you look at all the Terminator sequels, they're all trash and they're in their trash because they're not trying to continue. They're not trying to like make a sequel. They want to be the new thing that you like instead. Yeah, They are the new old thing. Yeah. So they, they attack the old thing in the process of trying to replace it, which will literally never work. It literally never has. Right. Like, no one enjoys those. They always, if if they get success, there's no chance in continuing them. Like it's, it's almost like a word of mouth. It's just brand recognition, which is why they do it to begin with. It's like, Oh, I like Robocop. This movie is also called Robocop. I'll go watch it. Even though uh, the reality is actually, I already have Robocop. Right. So people actually aren't very interested in watching it. Uh, and then, you know, then there's things that are like the replacement there's there's the replacements in name only and then there's the replacements masquerading as sequels where it's like we're going to completely redo everything and make it to where the original is actually inconsequential in comparison to this sequel and it's like i don't care yeah i like the original because you're able to make the sequel because you know we like the original right you can't you're not gonna get favor by trying to replace it and you know that's actually how i've grown to feel about the star wars yeah i was just about to mention that yeah yeah the the fact that my favorite thing about rise of skywalker being the emperor it's like making the emperor now have to finally be defeated here makes it to where his original defeat wasn't a defeat at all so it's like ah not a fan of that. Uh, I'm kind of just like motivated to be like headcanon. The sequels didn't happen, which is unfortunate because I really did enjoy a lot of them. Yep. But yep. Anyway, he had to have all of this context and know how this happens when he was making Blade Runner 2049 or 2049. And then he he's like, I'm going to make this the real sequel. I'm not going to cut down the original. I'm not going to, you know, uh, kill the original hero on camera in a brutal way so that he can be replaced. Mm-hmm. In fact, he, he goes the opposite direction. He goes the direction of like honoring the sequel and like trying to give Deckard like an ending more deserving of Deckard. Yeah. And he also creates a great new character. And a bunch of new characters. Starts yeah. to set great, up, a bunch of great new characters. Yeah. And he starts their story and then forgets about it and gives us the least satisfying, least meaningful finale, like climax, whatever. Like it was like, Oh, the main villain is just going to send his nameless henchman. And that's the, that's the final conflict. And it's like this, this feels like Pirates of the Caribbean too, 
where it's like we're this confident that we're going to get to finish this in another movie that we're just not even going to try to wrap up the movie we just had you sit through two and a half hours of. Mm. It's like we're not even going to make the attempt. It's going to be completely unsatisfying. And I was like, he had to know this is going to flop. He had to know that this is the one chance Blade Runner is ever going to get again. Like he had to know that the reason this is so special is because it was a flash in the pan. The fact that I'm getting to do it again is a magical opportunity and closure should have been his first priority. So that's why I'm like, I I, I refuse. I refuse any benefit of the doubt because I'm like, clearly villain Villanueva is not an idiot. Look at how good of a movie he almost made. Like, Look at how good all of these pieces are. Hmm. And that's why I have no confidence in his Dune films. They also look very ugly and I don't care about any of the cast. Say for maybe Josh Brolin, but I think he's also miscast. Anyway. (laughs) Uh, But, but Eat Man is retroactively helping me understand at least maybe what could have clouded Villanueva's vision. And it wasn't cynicism. Mm -hmm. It was that he, he had too much hope. He had too much hope that he could make this. He could make Blade Runner into a franchise or a series, whatever, where you could like dip in to just visit the world every once in a while and see all these different aspects of it and get little bits and pieces and slowly like slow, very slowly inch through this uh, bigger story. Yeah. Because that is what eat man is. It's very much like it wants to just give you bits and pieces and it wants to chew on each bit and piece that it can. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a good way of putting this because it does feel like I am because of how, uh, Bolt crank is kind of just like a, I, I don't want to say blank slate. That feels like it's cutting him short, but it, it, for all intents and purposes, he's a blank slate that I can kind of just watch him interact with the world. And like, mm-hmm. I get, I get to watch him kind of be a mirror and show me the world around him. Yeah. It imprints onto him. Mm-hmm. Well, you, most of the, you, most of the time, because uh, other times, you know, you get these situations where he gets flashbacks into his previous life. Uh, he encounters people from his previous life. Right. So far of which he has let none live. Oh, so yeah. you're like, okay. Um, Whatever he did before, he is not currently fond of. <laughs> he he doesn't want to see that continue. But uh, yeah, like the guy who was like, oh, I forgot you could do that. <laughs> I remember when I saw that, I was like, this guy's not making it to the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because n- almost no one knows anything about Bolt Crank. And when they do, it's like through rumor in which case they're probably going to survive. But if they know about him, like specifically so far, I just assume this isn't, this doesn't end well for them. Yeah. In fact, I, I was, I was kind of shocked that, um, uh, that Lily in the sixth episode knew his name. Yeah. There are times where his reputation precedes him, mm-hmm. But it's almost like it's as a mercenary, like as a guy who has completed jobs, because he has he has in quite a few of these. He's completed the job. And at other times, 
he deviates from the job. Right. Like uh, episode three or episode one where he's. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> then there's some where he completes it and then the story continues. Yeah. Uh, but like, what was it? Was it episode two where it was the uh, the lady that was studying that thing and he was just assigned to protect her? Yes, that was episode two. He he completed that well. And uh, he also didn't bury the uh, the supposed opposition. He kind of just got her isolated from it mm-hmm. and, and like defeated the immediate threats. He's got a, he's got a lot of nuance to him. He doesn't always have the same actions, even though it's typically the same structure per episode. Yeah, it does. OK, I I am starting to see what you're saying about it. It's showing a lot more of like who he is under the silence and the goofy smile. Um, <laughs> yeah, man, man a, that that smile comes in at some weird time. Like right before that lady murked all those revolutionaries. <laughs> yeah. Or right after he murked. The uh, the the previous associate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that he had. It was like right after because he was like uh, professional courtesy indeed. And then he has that little smile and it's like, ah, ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's like um, he they are showing you like that. He like you said that he's not responding the exact same way to all these different things. So it is showing a good. A, a bit of personality and just the way that he executes a mission. Also, he was almost completely he, hands off in the, uh, uh, in that, uh, in the fourth episode, like he just freed the dude and then the dude did all the rest of the stuff. Yeah. Like he, he spawns that gun and gives it to him. Yeah. He literally, he just, he just drives the ship. Literally only did what he was there to do, which was free him. He didn't see any point in getting in the way of this war, getting in the way of this political assassination. Mm-hmm. He did see a point in intervening when this woman was about to kill her father. Mm-hmm. So he saves the father. And it's like, OK, so you can tell he he doesn't have an oversized ego about like what he can change. Mm-hmm. But he isn't. uh once he sees that he can change something, he doesn't really hesitate. Like once he saw that he could, the, the best thing to ensure uh, in episode four, the best way to ensure that that village got to go on the way it was, was to make sure none of what happened got out. Yeah. To close it was the like, loop. That was, yeah, that was in that moment was in his power. Mm-hmm. So he, he acted. Yeah, but yeah, as far as like, do I see any sort of arc for him? Six episodes in, nah. I think I know more about sixth episode uh, Bolt Crank than I knew about sixth episode Vash the Stampede. With Vash the Stampede, you did see more of an arc by then, right? It's like you're starting to see that something has to change. So far, I'm not seeing that anything with Bolt Crank is like an obvious issue that needs to change. Yeah. It's almost like a, it's almost like capable of changing the world at large. Yeah. And like, I was just about to say, it's, it's not like a, um, it's not like a Paddington situation where it's like you change the world around you. You don't really change. It's not like that. I know nothing about Paddington, Uh, but the fact that you just said that about this silly little bear movie 
I'm like, what? Uh, yeah, uh, there. Uh, I have not even watched the movie. There's just been bits and pieces where I've seen Paddington, this little bear. He goes to prison and like in prison, he like changes all these people and they're like really happy. And it's like, all right, what? Well. I don't I didn't know anything about this. I just thought Paddington was a was a silly British like series or whatever. Yeah, it was, it was a movie that I remember came out and I never saw it, but I heard about like I remember it, somebody had referred to Paddington as um, the static character that changes the world around them. Hmm. I also remember seeing numerous perfect scores for Paddington Two come down the pipeline, and I was like, "This is a meme," and I refuse to participate <laughs> I, in it. Yeah, whenever I see perfect scores, I am doubtful. Yeah, to say the least. <laughs> I I remember I'm actually more curious when I see something get like the lowest score that can be provided, which is what I saw with Kickass. Mm, mm, mm. I was like, all right, now I'm interested. Um what were we talking about before Paddington? The oh yeah. Static yeah, yeah. characters, so, yeah. Vash the Stampede is the most important character in Planet Gunsmoke. Mm-hmm. Gosh, that I don't get that feeling. <laughs> Every time you say that name, it stirs something in me. <laughs> what, Vash the Stampede or Planet Gunsmoke? The answer I was going to say, yes. <laughs> yeah, there's it, it's very special. But uh, I don't get the feeling that Bolt Crank is even the strangest thing or the most important thing in whatever this world is called. Which they gave the country he was in a name. I don't remember what it was. But I don't think they've... <gasps> I don't know if they've named this setting yet. Yeah, I, I I haven't heard it name dropped that I can remember. They might absolutely have. I just I went over my head, and since then it hasn't really shown to be as important. Like right. the uh, the show has a personality. I don't know if the place has a personality because we're also jumping around to different remote parts of it, which feel totally different. Right, like he could so. be in a completely different country on this planet every single time. All that we know that is similar is that friggin' crashed something or another that's orbiting in the sky. Yeah, the space junk. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing tying it together. Also, there's like that crater in the middle of the city. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Lord. But yeah, it doesn't seem to be terribly concerned with getting us like to see the city as a character. Right. Much like uh, Planet Gunsmoke absolutely is a character. And, you know, uh, Vash is like redeeming it at its judgment. Yeah. But um, anyway. Yeah, in comparison... Bolt Crank doesn't seem to be the most important character in his universe. So it almost makes me worry that I, I'm not against episodic shows and I'm not against this staying episodic. And I know we've got a second series coming mm-hmm. after the fact. So if this ends right where it started and, you know, maybe we just we know more about Bolt Crank as a character, but as far as there being some sort of arc, nothing has changed. Mm-hmm. I don't th- know if that's going to kill my interest. What could kill my interest is if there is an arc that reveals itself and I'm not interested in it. Hmm. Yeah, so it's almost like it would leave it up to intrigue if there was nothing, but then if it was uninteresting... 
yeah, it's like once it once it chooses its path and I don't think it's an interesting path. I mean, I mean, this has happened with plenty of other things. It's like, I mean, if something feels like it's just kind of, you know, it's like, oh, this is interesting. And then the more I learned about it, I'm like, ah, it's it was interesting when I didn't know. Yeah. Like it was it was more interesting when more was left to mystery. So I don't know. I don't know what I would. I don't know what I would. Here's the thing. I know what I want from like Zoids and Saint Seiya. I don't know what I want from this. Yeah. I don't even know if I want it to continue the way it's going. (laughs) Because uh, it's almost like at some point, part of the things that are keeping me interested are the little bits I'm getting. And I'm like, I want more of that. But if I get more and it's like, oh, man, wasn't as cool as I thought it was. And it's like, ah, it's kind of counterproductive. Yeah. And I'm like James Bond. I'm at a point where it's like I and I'm enjoying it, but it's I don't know. The 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 budgetary uh, restraints that they have, as well as like the pacing just isn't really my speed quite literally. Hmm. So. I mean, I can I can respect that if you don't want to continue it, then we don't have to continue it. I, I I would be fine dropping it and uh, immediately shifting gears and going to Gurren Lagan. <laughs> All right. Well, I will say, though, I'm probably going to continue watching it. Hmm. And if it does turn into something that is actually very interesting, I'm going to bring it back up. OK, absolutely. And we, we might have to continue. Uh, I'm also probably going to watch the second season as well. So maybe if it doesn't happen in season one and it does happen in season two and you don't have to see any of the stuff from season one in order to jump into season two, which is what I think could happen if it does happen that way, yeah. then, you know, maybe we just just jump straight to that. But uh, yeah, I'm probably going to continue watching it. And that means we now have to get through Zoids, Saint Seiya, My Hero, and then we'll be starting Gurren Lagann. So that was, let's see, episode five, six, seven, episode eight is now the countdown to the first three episodes of Gurren Lagann. Oh, boy. It's going to happen. Oh, boy, it's happening. It's happening, baby. It's on the calendar. Oh, no. It's going to be real. Watch, watch us be unable to record that week for whatever reason. <laughs> or that's, that's the week that something goes atrociously wrong. Well, hey, <laughs> September's coming, baby. <laughs> A whole lot of stuff's about to hit the fan come September. Oh, Might boy. not be looking at the same world. But yeah, we'll see. Yeah, yeah I don't have much else to <laughs> not say. Not to leave people with that incredibly <laughs> ominous message, but you know. <laughs> if you know, you know. <laughs> like they always say. <laughs> also, I think you should always bet on you're not going to be looking at the same world in a couple weeks, given how things have been going. Right. So that's actually the safe. Everything's bet. going yeah. to change. Uh, I guess uh, you know, killing people's bed. Yeah. Go beyond plus ultra. We'll see y'all next time. <laughs>